Open Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. A huge hello to my lovely listeners. This is our first recording during COVID-19. It's a bit odd because I'm used to seeing my guests, which I really love to do. Um, but my guest is staying safe, as we all are. Chris, our producer, is tuning in, so there will be no misbehaving or going too much off piste. How are you all doing at this strange time? It's 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 very odd. I've certainly had some ups and downs, and I'm sure you've all been challenged too. But I hope and pray for all of you who've got your own businesses that you're managing to find a way through, that you will be able to come through the other side of this. It's challenging and it's testing us all. And I keep reminding myself, what am I learning about it? Thank heavens for Captain Tom. And my heart goes out to all the frontline workers, uh, carers, and to anybody who's lost loved ones from the pandemic. I'd love to do a shout out for my cousins, Hope's granddaughter, Tamsin, who is a frontline worker at Northwick Park Hospital, and Nicola, who's Patience's eldest granddaughter, um, who is head of a school and getting ahead around online teaching and also going in every day to look after key workers' children. So it is time to get on with our show. And our guest today is a dynamic guy with incredible resilience. His previous chapters include life in the high-pressure corporate world for, I think, around 12 years, surviving a stroke aged 30, and emerging into the world of well-being in 2012. It's time to say a massive hello and thank you to our guest, Nirid Shah. He is co-founder of Mind Unlocked, a business whose mission is to create evidence-based practical mental well-being tools more accessible. And to quote Nirij, no crystals, no mumbo jumbo. He is also a, the European co-chair for the transformative tech lab in Silicon Valley, which is the leading global community of entrepreneurs using technology to raise mental health and emotional well-being. So huge hello again and welcome. Hi, Amelia. Really good to be here. It's lovely to have you. I wish we could see you, but another time. <laughs> it will have to be another time and those times will come. They will come. Of course, they will come again. I would love you to share with the listeners a whistle-stop tour of how you morphed from the corporate world and into sort of setting up your own gigs, because I don't think this is your first uh, business. And probably after these times, uh, many of the listeners will potentially be changing from the corporate world into setting up their own business for their next chapter yeah sure I'll, I'll give you the whistle stop tour and then we can delve into some of the entrepreneurial stuff and you're right it's not my it's not my first rodeo so the, the starting point is that I was, I was just a normal guy with a normal life you know that fast-paced work hard play hard sleep later attitude i was based in london with my corporate job and then i started doing some work in hong kong for the company i was working with eventually moved to hong kong and in my late 20s i developed a sort of semi-committed interest in health and that was really driven by the fact that i couldn't get away with the things that i was getting away with before so i remember looking down one day at, at sitting at my desk and thinking where where did that spare tire come from it was it was a 
revelatory moment it was like i have no idea how this happened but it's happened so i started drinking less i started going to the gym a bit more i had this semi-committed relationship with health and that passing interest became an obsession with learning about brain function well-being and vitality when as you have touched on at the age of 30 out of nowhere i had a sudden and serious stroke so a very severe brain injury and it was it was scary i i temporarily lost the use of my legs i we didn't know what the brain damage was going to be like i had energy like a broken battery it was it was a interesting time you know a very uncertain time and luckily i had great care at the nhs so i've been a massive fan of the nhs ever since because they they were just unbelievable and i had this amazing neurologist who basically there's a few key things that he he did the first thing is that he told me that after they discharged me he said i'm really confident that you're going to make a nearly full recovery and i think it's so important when a medical professional says that to you because that gave me confidence that i i could make the recovery and then secondly he said you need to sleep every afternoon until until you feel back to normal which was just over mm. 10 years ago that this happened but in the last two or three years we started learning just how important sleep is so he was ahead of his time and he also said you need to do yoga now. Um, I don't want you lifting heavy weights until you're fully recovered. I want you to only do yoga. So so I started doing yoga. So, so that was, I got discharged. I had a partial ability to walk. Uh, I could only sleep, eat and do yoga. So yoga became a fixture in my life. We didn't find a cause. We don't know why this happened. It wasn't genetic. It wasn't another health issue. And statistically, the chance of reoccurrence in that first year is so high. So my attitude was, I'm scared and I need to make sure this has the smallest chance of happening again. So the hence starting to devour information about well-being. And I also started like really devouring business books because when this had happened, I had already decided to leave the corporate world. I, I had already started making moves to figure out what that first business was going to be. So I, I used this time to level up my knowledge. So, so then six months later, I'd had the physical recovery and feeling very, very grateful. And I thought, okay, it's time to start a business. So I started working for a startup to get some experience whilst working on my own ideas on health and technology on the side. And basically that turned into 18 months of learning loads and getting nowhere, which I'm sure many entrepreneurs <laughs> yeah, are really I think we familiar can relate with. to that. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically at this point I got really desperate. I had to make something work. My ideas in health and technology were going nowhere. So I, sort of out of pragmatism, I decided to look at the real estate sector, got some advice around that and said, okay, I'm not that interested in property, but I know it's a sensible place to go. I know it's very inefficient. There's lots of things to do. So I'm just going to commit to this for 12 months. And that, that, this is this is important. It was a combination of desperation and mm -hmm. commitment. I'm not going to get distracted by anything else. And I just figured I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I thought my worst case scenario is I'm sure I can buy a property and do it up and sell it and make some money that way. And basically that was my starting point. So that first year was good enough to do a year two. And, and that was the first business in 2012 that I started. So, uh, you know, failed to get anything going in health and tech, turned to property. And that went well enough that I'm now in year eight of that. That business is now eight years old. And 
basically from there through a lot of hard work and uh, on the side of this i'm doing all the well-being stuff i'm into yoga yoga had led to meditation which is a big fixture in my life um I, i'm eating well i'm exercising i'm sleeping and from property i started a property technology company so that was my second one with with, with a group of other people and that started going well but i knew that i'd come to this sector without the interest in a sector and more an interest in working with great people and and doing great things so i decided okay rather than scale my interest here let let me take a step back i'm in my, in my mid-30s now this is five years ago and i thought okay i really want to do something in well-being this is my identity now and, and also i figured that the economics on this look quite good because we're living longer but we're getting sicker younger so there's lots of problems to be solved in the well-being space for the next couple of years i started mentoring some well-being entrepreneurs and you know sort of helping them with their businesses sharing the things that i'd learned whilst also winding down some of my property stuff and put, putting some of it at, at, under management structure so that i didn't have to be as involved and, and basically where that all led to was a couple of years ago i started a meditation project i, I didn't know if i wanted to make it a business at the same time i got involved with the guys in Silicon Valley because I'm really interested in technology and and you know tech has been a big part of my life and and I guess my 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 primary interest is in the evolving relationship between rapidly advancing technology and our 40,000 year old human brains. So I started Mind Unlocked as a bit of a movement two years ago as a side project. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do something in the space or not, but I, but I could see something that needed solving. That side project snowballed. It, it, we were doing in-person meditation events that led to things in sleep and digital balance. So we started looking at well-being as a whole. And we started, you know, my, my whole ethos was I want to take this very research-led, very practical approach because there's so many great well-being things out there, but they're not reaching people who are slightly skeptical who are pragmatic who are leading busy lives they don't want to go to the yoga studio they don't want to go to the buddhist center but they do want to solve their problems around stress insomnia anxiety that kind of thing when you first got into the well-being side were there many men involved in it or was it mainly female led it, it was mainly female led and it still is mainly female led and it's actually wonderful to be in a sector which is very heavily dominated by females because that's not normal but because of that you get a different dynamic you get a different way of thinking but to make these things work you need both you need all of it yeah. you, you can't just be one or the other i mean would you say that if you look back at your life that all the sort of threads unusual threads and some obviously extremely unpleasant and scary that they've all been drawn together into what you're doing now and where you're at oh without a doubt i mean when we look backwards we can connect the dots in a very linear way but I'm, mm -hmm. what i'm not telling you about is all the things that i did that didn't work and all, all the things that i yeah. tried that that were failures all my activities and learning converges around the intersection of well-being technology and entrepreneurship and e even before i started my first business like all, all all of those things have been big fixtures in my life well-being obviously because of the stroke and it's how it catalyzed yep. my interests but technology i've grown up around technology i was playing around with computers when i was a kid uh, and on the entrepreneurship side whilst i started my first business uh, eight eight and a bit years ago i've been investing in stuff for 20 odd years so i, I always and i work for very entrepreneurial companies so I've, I wanted to go down that route anyway. It was just a matter of finding the right thing at the right time. And, and, and also so changing like all the, the sort of vehicle. Yeah. And also all the things that I know now about how we lie to ourselves and how we BS ourselves about, you know, 
an element of that is also just not knowing what to do. If I'd known what I know now, I would have started when I was 23 or 24 instead of when I was 30. Yeah. But isn't that like us all? If I could rewind, I would have... It's not that I wouldn't have picked what I've done, but I would have done it in a very different way. Of and, course. Um, but I think, you know, hindsight is a, is a wonderful thing. Yeah. That's the voice of experience. It is. So do you think that with um, COVID-19, you will change, you will need to change your business as a result of it? I mean, it seems that a lot of it is driven online anyway, but I know that you do your public speaking. You hold big sort of meditation groups and yoga groups and, and that side of things. Will you, will you need to adapt? Will you need to change? I think at a fundamental level, we don't. But, but of course, we're looking at a different set of circumstances. So to give you a couple of examples, mm-hmm. we, the vast majority of what we do is driven online anyway, but I like the in-person stuff because the in-person stuff, fr- from a business model perspective, it, it's never going to be as lucrative, but it's just fun. And I think it's really important mm-hmm. to do some things that are just fun and fulfilling, and it's a great way to connect with people. And and to be honest, when, uh, when Wanda Luston, the mayor of London, asked me to lead a mass meditation for a thousand people on tower bridge you don't say no to things like that it's incredible yeah so that that, you know those are life experiences yeah so now i want to explore your mindset a bit sort of things that make you tick and um get under the bonnet really of of nourish so i have been thinking recently i mean that's one thing with this time is that there is a lot of thinking time i find the days go i don't know about you so quickly and yet one is parked up in the same place it's not even as if you're running around from meeting to meeting but i was thinking about limiting beliefs and how i had limiting beliefs um sort of in my childhood, then teens, and then, you know, 20s and 30s, and how they potentially blocked me, but didn't because they made me learn a lot more. Were you influenced in in any limiting beliefs that sort of stemmed possibly from your childhood or your teens? And if so, did they ultimately transform to expansion? You know, how did you overcome them? Did they or did they slow your journey to where you are now? Yeah, of of course, of course, I had limiting beliefs. And of course, I still do. And I'm constantly trying to become aware of them so that I can question those beliefs. So I I think the biggest one that held me back was, I knew from the age of 16, I wanted to start a business, but there was there's two probably. The first is I need to go and get some proper experience under my belt before I start, which is actually quite sensible. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good idea for people to go and get two or three years of work experience in the real world, working for somebody else before you do your own thing. But but that took me to my late 20s because of the fear of, you know, thinking I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And the truth is that the, the reality is you'll never be fully ready and there's never going to be a perfect time. So I think, Absolutely. think changing those helped. And then the other one, which really held me back from an entrepreneurial point of view, was this common media-driven narrative that you need to have a great idea and and then once you've got that great idea that then then things happen and what i've learned in hindsight is that you don't need a great idea what you need to do is go and find a problem that you really care about and find a way to solve it in a simple way and just get started and and that's a very different way of looking at things but but that the reason i got nowhere with those initial 18 months of attempts was because i was focused on what's the idea, what's the idea, what's the idea? And also trying mm-hmm. to figure out what 
what the end game looks like and it's a little bit like saying i'm going to drive from london to scotland but before i drive i'm going to wait till every light goes green and then i've got a clear path <laughs> when actually really what analogy. you need to do it's a perfect analogy what what you need to do is drive to the first stop light do that bit and then once you do that you'll figure out the next bit very true i'll tell you a little secret as well oh goody like we all like little secrets we're still doing that at Mind Unlocked. What we'll be doing in two or three years in terms of the solutions will be different to what we're doing now. But the fundamental problem we're going to be solving is still going to be around helping people with stress, anxiety, insomnia, mindset, because no matter what happens, those things are not going to change. People are always going to want to sleep better, feel better, think better. Wise, wise words, most definitely. It is that thing of problem solving. And I think when I um, set up my chocolate business, you know, I was, I suppose I had the idea, but I hadn't even got my head around thinking about solving a problem and um, that side of things. It's, it's interesting how people, you can find yourself falling into um, situations and then you sort of run with them. Um, I, I don't. I don't think the media helps. I don't think Dragons Den helps. I don't think people who aren't in business who want to give op op opinions about business. It's not helpful because until you've done it, you can't know. Even though you yeah, think you don't. Helpful. You really don't know. I mean, when I used to say I have a chocolate business, they used to have that sort of fantasy bubble. I think they thought Juliet Binoche in a little chocolate shop and playing around. I, and it's... I thought Willy Wonka when I'm. I was like, can I? come to your factory that, that was the yeah. whole reason I talked to you in the first place yes we haven't said how we connected but it was um chocolate it's really tough and I mean I see it as a wetsuit and and funny enough I feel more at home in the wetsuit I'm wearing as a podcaster than I did in the chocolate world but back to your point is that unless you do it unless you've done it you have you really don't have any idea it, it's just it's a totally different world but it's something that it's like when you said when you were 16 and you knew you wanted your own thing it's a bit like me I always knew I wanted to do my own thing and and it was just in my bloodstream it wasn't necessary that I was independent it was just something that I had to do I don't know if that was the same with you Nirich. Mine was a bit simpler I think I, I don't come from money I don't come from an entrepreneurial family but I am Indian by blood and Indians are entrepreneurs if you go to India mm -hmm. everyone's an entrepreneur because there's no social security and there's not that many corporate jobs so if you want to eat you better damn well figure out how to make money so I, I come from a very entrepreneurial background but in terms of my my genetics and DNA but not in terms of my family and at the age of 16 it was really simple for me I knew two things I want to go and see the world and I want to make a lot of money <laughs> that, that was the extent of my thinking like just being really honest about it well it's lucky you got to see I mean it's lucky that all of us have got to see some of the world before the situation we're in now I appreciate yeah, I mean, every plane flight I've been on and yeah. every country that I've put my foot into. And, and this is the thing, right? I didn't, I didn't get to travel until I was 18 or 19 because we, we didn't have money for those kind of things. You know, I didn't grow up poor. I'm, I'm painting probably a picture like that, but, but we didn't have a lot of money for those kind of luxuries. So because of that, every plane trip is such a privilege for me. I'm so excited that I even get to do this. And, and part of that is the fact that I, I, I get to walk and I get to think because those things almost got taken away from me. So it's easy for me to feel very grateful. Like Travel is a privilege because most of the world doesn't get to do it. Mm-hmm. 
But I, I, on that thing of traveling, it was certainly as children, we didn't. We just went, we went to Cornwall every year. That was it. And it was, I mean, in those days, you couldn't afford to, to go yeah. abroad. That was what it was called. Yeah, you needed it? money and to do it. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So we're, we're going to move on to another sort of topic that again has been spinning around in my mind, which is the word resilience. In life, one needs resilience, really. And I was sort of exploring it and I, was listening to a bit of Sheryl Sandberg and she was comparing resilience, um, referring to it as a muscle, which I thought was interesting. And then some psychologists were talking about it as a quality and others were saying perhaps it's in our DNA. As I've talked about on the show before, I've had to harvest and, and glean and draw off resilience. The, the lockdown has shown me that I do have a tank of resilience, but I also have another tank that needs more resilience. How do you perceive resilience you know, what does it mean for you and why? Such a good question. So I guess resilience, I don't know. It's it's important. It's clearly important. I, th I think there's things that have happened in my life that have really developed that resilience. So is, is it a muscle you can develop? Is it genetic? I, I think it's actually all of those things from all of the research that we've looked at in terms of brain function and so on. But what's clear is you can definitely train it. So you can definitely start with low resilience and move to a place of high resilience. There's a quality of our brains called neuroplasticity, where we now know our adult human brains do not stop physically de developing when we're, we're fully formed adults. So we're not going to get taller, our limbs aren't going to grow, but our brain can grow and it can change. And the way that it grows and changes is based on how we use it. The, the brain, the way it works, if we do something over and over again, it starts assuming that it's really important to our survival and starts getting efficient at that process. It also works for negative traits. So if we keep practicing worry, Mm -hmm. then we can start accessing worry much more easily. And and we all know people who can access their state of worry very, very easily. And so it is for resilience. So basically, the, be the best resource I know on habit formation is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Amazing audiobook, amazing website, amazing book. What he talks about when it comes to habit formation for resilience or anything, any habit that you want, you've got to start small. And you've got to get into the habit of doing the thing in a small way. And there's all sorts of things in the book. It goes into a lot of depth. How do you bolster your resilience? So, so yeah, this, this is where the thing we didn't talk about before the stroke, the other big trauma in my life is that when I was 14, my father suddenly passed away from a heart attack. And that was, uh, I, I think there's a few different ways that you can go when something like that happens and I was very lucky because like I say we didn't have a lot of money but we had a lot mm -hmm. of love we had a lot of values we had a lot of integrity in the family so my, my mother is amazing and basically she, she's a rock and I looked to her yeah. example but I also knew at the age of 14 I needed to step up and I needed to grow up and you know obviously something like that has a profound effect on your life mm -hmm. so I think I think that was my first real resilience training like first real training against hardship it is helpful to have support around you where you can do that I've been devouring those kind of books for a long time mm -hmm. and from them you gain ideas if, if anything you, you start feeling like anything's possible and I think that... and isn't that li I mean that gives so much power and liberation it's just thinking you know what I can do this it is possible it might be really tough and I might be stretched to my utmost but I can do it if I really, really want to do it and I really put my heart and soul into it. Tying back to the name of the podcast of Hope and Patience, but having huge amounts of hope, but 
dollop loads of patients. I mean, it's that, it's the, it, they, they sort of two scales. It's a bit, I like astrology, so I see it as Libra and the scales. But, you know, I mean, it's that sort of, that sort of thing, isn't it? Totally. So two things that every entrepreneur needs. They need, they, we need to be optimists. We need, we need to believe we can make a change in the world. And we need to have a lot of patience because everything takes so much longer and costs so much more than you can ever mm -hmm. imagine. But also the same with the business from my e experience exactly. is that you think, you know, X will take you to Y and then all of a sudden X is gone. And yeah. Yeah, I, th I think so we underestimate what we can do in a year and sorry, overestimate what we can do in a year. And we underestimate what we can get, get done in five because snowball yeah. effects play a big part. Massive. Uh, what is your biggest distraction so what is something that just that i think i know your answer but i'm not going to say it what is your huh. biggest distraction maybe i don't actually you think you know my answer i, I want to know your <laughs> yeah, well, answer I do, but but not necessarily it might not be your biggest distraction throughout the year it might be part I, of the year okay i see it as learning and regeneration so i am naturally ultra distracted like, like I am the most distracted person. So I've had to actually put, learn and implement a whole load of things that keep me not distracted. And and, and I'm a productivity junkie. And I'm also very in tune with technology and how technology manipulates us. So I'd say actually modern tech is my biggest distraction. The thing that gets in the way mm -hmm. of, you know, me getting work done. And that that basically means what's happening on my laptop and what's happening in my phone. But I've I've gotten very, very good at minimizing that. So I think that's gone. So with your phone, how do you train yourself to be disciplined with and with your distractions? I've I've written extensively about this digital balance. How do we get everything we need from technology without with, mm. without basically becoming slaves to it? So it's quite a deep topic, but the, the basics are, first of all, understanding that there is a manipulation going on and understanding, mm -hmm. you know, becoming aware of what our habits actually are. I can give you a link to, you know, stuff stuff that I've written in this space so that uh, people can follow Wonderful. up on this because it's a massive topic and it's, it's the topic that I'm obsessed with, the relationship between technology and the human brain. That would be wonderful. So before we head into our chocolate break, just a couple more questions that I want to sneak in. The inner critic, I know it's sort of been over-egged in a way, but it still fascinates me, this sort of critical self-chatter that can go on in our heads. You you might not have that. You might be sorted out on it. But if you do, how do you keep it at bay? You're, you're right. I don't have much of an inner critic. I definitely have voices in my head. Um, I think... I, I, um... What's the best way to answer this? Because this, this is a tough one for me to talk about because I don't really have that experience. I think I think I've always backed myself, and I've always I wouldn't say always been confident because that's not that's not the right description. I've I've always trusted myself to figure things out and mm -hmm. get on with figuring them out rather than criticizing myself for mistakes because I make a lot of mistakes, but I get over them very quickly and I move on. Okay, so we are going to dive into the chocolate break before we tap Niraj on his well-being and a couple of other things. He's got his own chocolate supply, obviously, because we're in different locations. So the thing that he can produce to eat is actually the same as Rowan Blacker, the first guest, Terry's orange. He's got mini Easter eggs that he tells me he's got by the side of his recording kit. I have upgraded 
and pulled out of my little store cupboard for my treat because I don't have Terry's Orange mini Easter eggs at this stage. It's the Chocolate Society. Al is is the guy behind it and um, it's dark coffee bean. So I'm going to tuck into mine and Niraj will hopefully tuck into an egg. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's tough times. Beggars can't be choosers. I got what I could get. Uh, but <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm tucking in. When it, comes to, when it comes to chocolate, when it comes to chocolate, there's uh, there's two things. I, I love it when it's great chocolate, like the kind of stuff that you used to make your espresso bar with. Yeah, divine. coffee. That's right. You like my coffee or, one. Yeah. Or I like really crappy chocolate. Like Same with Hulna me. And M&Ms and, you know, I, I'm kind of, it's got to be one end or the other. Same with me. It's it's like sort of if you, I don't know if you drink, but, you know, it's the sort of equivalent of having champagne but chips and mayo. It's that sort of combination. But I have I have to um, disclose that I do have a cream egg that's holding up in my fridge and I'm savouring it for the right moment. So anyway, I'm tucking into my chocolate, tuck into an Easter egg, and I will then carry on as I'm eating, um, ask you a couple of questions. So the um, two words that I I chat about uh, on the show are success and failure. And success, I'm always intrigued by. I had a very in- traditional view of it, which was cash and power. And now I'm changing my view, but relatively in the past sort of few years to it being much more subtle and, and maybe it being more emotional and spiritual and that sort of side of things. How do you measure success, Neeraj? It's gone. Yeah, no, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> oh, you've got to get your eggs. <laughs> yeah, gone. Got gone. gone, never to come back. Gone. Um, so how do I measure success? It's such a good question because I think I think the media-driven Western definition is not the one that's going to make anyone happy. And and I think there's this perception because because we're fed this all these like quite frankly lies about how we need to be successful and how we need to have a six pack and how we need to have money in the bank and how we need to have a successful relationship and have mm-hmm. a perfect perfect two kids and hot holidays that are instagram worthy and actually none of that stuff you know what what i've learned is none of that stuff matters i, th- I think what what's important is that there's a few different things i think about number one is if somebody can do what they want to do when they want to do it then that's success and that's different things to different people so i think the fundamental is actually getting to do a bit of self-inquiry so you can figure out what's important to you rather than what's keeping up with the joneses and once you've figured that out that's that's a big way towards the equation because not everybody wants to run a business and not everybody wants to be a billionaire with a six-pack and all that kind of rubbish Mm -hmm. so i think i think the first thing is getting clear on what's important to you and i think the second thing is understanding that fulfillment is very different to um external accolades and i think what fulfills us internally is much more important so what one of the things for me being in a well-being space is i want to have an impact and i want to have a lasting positive effect on on people's lives because i know my time here is short and uh you know that that, that's just kind of what i want to do but also i want to make good money doing it so i think it's important to understand that money does play a part in it but it's not the way that most people think about it i think what's important is to be able to find a way to make enough money so that you can 
pay your bills and live the way you want to live but mm-hmm. the way i want to live could be very different to the way somebody else wants to live i think somebody can be very successful if they decide they want to live in a countryside on a on a low cost base or, or live in a different country and have these beautiful nature and have these amazing experiences and you can have an incredibly successful life if that's what's going to fulfill you so i think i think it's very personal but i keep using this word fulfillment it's different to happiness it's different to external ideas about success power wealth all of those things because everything i've read in a space and learned in the space is that at the end of the day you've got to go to bed feeling some sense of fulfillment with the direction you're going in or, or who you're becoming mm-hmm. and, and ultimately that's you know that's why we have all these stories of all these ultra externally successful people with with fame money and the rest of it and and yet they kill themselves or they're drug addicts or they're jim carrey said it best when he said i want everybody to get rich and famous so that they understand that this is not the answer Mm, very true okay and quickly on to failure yeah what what does that word mean to you failure is an interesting one Uh, i think um failure happens when you give up when you when you give up on a dream or you decide and, and, and you know sometimes it's the right thing to give up like like it might be that there's no point in banging your head against a brick brick wall for a long 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 time and getting nowhere with it so so for example for me you know i i had to put my health and technology ideas to one place and go and do something else in in the property space but i didn't see that as a failure i just figured that i i still need to learn and i still need to do things and i think failure is an interesting one it's such a loaded word i hate those words giving up as well what is a real failure i mean how permanent yeah. is failure like one of the interesting things is if you look at entrepreneurs who go bankrupt, a lot of them tend to be quite successful after that because you realize that the thing that you thought was the worst thing that can possibly happen to you is actually it's it's horrible a blessing but it's but you're not you're not dead you're not gonna have no money you're not gonna you know so so it takes away the fear and I think I had a similar thing with a stroke where I realized if I can deal with that, other things are not scary anymore so so this concept of failure is not one that I really think about. I, I do lots of things that don't work, but it's only a failure if I don't learn from it and don't do something differently as a result. Maybe that's a good way of putting it. Okay, moving on to your well-being. I mean, you're pretty sorted, but I'm still going to tap you. Um, how or where does stress affect you? Do, do, do you mean in terms of like what stresses me out? Yeah, and how you cope with it. I think my threshold to feel stress is very, very high because of what's happened to me in my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I mean, there have been a couple of things that did really stress me out. There was a point about maybe four to five years ago where for about a 48 hour period, I thought we might lose our home, the the place that we live Mm. in and and might lose all the equity in it and and all sorts of stuff. And that was incredibly stressful. I think that stress goes away when you know that you can pay the bills for the next two or three months at least and when it becomes like six months then you know financial stress is a big part of it yeah huge isn't it yeah huge part of it so i think i think for me personally like when that was going on that got me very 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 stressed um i think the beauty of being on my third business is that there's very little in the business that stresses me out but that's that's a much easier thing to say when we've got cash in the bank so 
um you know I, i'm kind of aware of that so other than that i think uh, I, I used to worry a lot about what people think about me i, I mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing used to like really stress me out and then, then i had a stroke and i stopped stop really giving a damn what anyone thought because i realized that actually just go go and live life and as long as i i'm being kind and not ex, you know on purpose trying to be be an idiot to people that then i need mm-hmm. then i'm okay with that and what other people think is none of my business so there was things like that that you see you know, i really had a deep-seated need to want to be liked but that's mm-hmm. all gone away now i think we all do though don't we i mean i certainly had that i, I think i, age I don't have that anymore no, I don't, I don't have, have that, anymore. that anymore, but I did as yeah. a child. I think it's part yeah, of the growing yeah. up thing, isn't it? Well, it's, okay. it's, it's, part, it's part of our human psyche. We we need to be accepted by the crowd because it's part yeah. of survival instinct. Because if we're not accepted by the group, then in, in you know you only have to go back two, three hundred years. That means you're probably going to die. That That's where it comes from. It is. Okay, do you have a daily ritual as part of your well-being? Yeah, um, I, have, I have a couple. I, th- I think the way I spend my mornings is... It's quite consistent. So what I used to do because uh, pre-COVID, that the pre-COVID mm-hmm. era, I used to travel quite a lot. So I wasn't quite sure what my situation was going to be. So my ritual in the morning was quite simple. Then it was basically I need to get some hydration, um, mm-hmm. I need to get some movement, and I need to do something for my mind, which would typically be like a short, short meditation or a bit of reflection or a bit of reading or whatever I felt like. It was simple because it's super adaptable to everything else. Since the six weeks that I've been home after escaping the USA and getting back actually mm-hmm. because I'm in one place I've got a, a more structured ritual so I don't have a set time that I get up I've got the luxury of that um, you know I, I don't set meetings until the afternoons for that reason but so I just get up naturally but the first things I do is I get the hydration I go and get 30 minutes of daylight outside because it's so important for circadian mm-hmm. rhythm um, I, I get some movement whether that's walk jog yoga whatever depends how I feel doesn't really matter what it is what matters that it happens um, I, I do a little bit of reading and, and then I do something then actually what I do now I do some work first so I get some deep work done for about an hour um along with morning coffee and then that's when i'll typically do something for my mind have, have a bit of a break and do some meditation or, or or something along those kind of lines so i think the way i start my days is important because that sets the tone for the rest of the day and then the other ritual i've got which which i've gotten really good at is that i have cut off times for work so i have a set time that i decide mm-hmm. typically around sort of 6 30 p.m most days and work's finished and now i'm going to do other stuff whether that's spending time with my wife or uh do, doing something that isn't work or exercising whatever it is and then the other really important one going back to something else we're talking about i have a cut off time for technology so so there comes a time where all my tech goes off whether and so that i'm not on screen so that i'm not screwing up my sleep on that mm-hmm. and that, 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 that's about it everything else in there is relatively fluid so basically your phone would be off at night rather than on i'm imagining no it's on it's on but uh it's in but but let me explain what i mean by that it's it has a automatic night mode timer so around 8 p.m because the sun sets around 8 the phone phone screen fades Mm -hmm. um at the same time it goes on to a privacy mode where only like my nearest and dearest can get through to me so it almost becomes like a landline right so you know it becomes like like a landline so i can leave the ringer on knowing that only they're going to call in the emergency and then basically i I don't look at it between about 9 p.m and about 30 minutes after i've woken up and and Mm -hmm. the reason for that is because i um wear blue blockers so these are the funny red glasses that biohackers wear Uh, but what these do is they start mimicking 
um, nighttime conditions because, of course, we're blasting ourselves with our with our artificial lights and all this kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. be- between those two things, it means I can't really see my phone screen very well. And when you can't see it very well, then you don't want to do anything on it. So no. and, and then typically the first thing I'll do on my phone, which is about half an hour after I've woken up and done some of those other things, is that I'll fire up Instagram and I'll post my morning thoughts. And that's typically the first thing I'll do. Yeah, same here. Same here. Um, what are your hobbies? Um, so in, in normal times, snowboarding massive mm. hobby uh you know part of the part of the rationale to build a remote business where i can work from anywhere because that's what we're doing is is so that i can spend my time uh on mountains and traveling and all of that and what it, it doesn't mean i'm not working it just means that my work day is structured differently i'm still when i'm snowboarding i'm still knocking out somewhere between three and six hours of work depending on what needs to be done which which is you know where your focus is pretty good so mm-hmm. that that's my winter hobby and then other than that I, i've actually got into cocktail making which has got nothing to do with anything that i'm that i'm doing but it's it's creative the history is interesting fab result <laughs> yeah and do you you shared a, um the book atomic habits by james clear but do you have a song that you um really love that makes you feel upbeat or inspire you that you would share with listeners you know i don't i i don't have a particular song my influences are rock and heavy metal i grew up in the 80s so um when i'm working i will either be listening to an app called brain fm which is basically functional music for mental states fascinating stuff or mm. i'll i'll be basically blasting metallica songs on repeat <laughs> and, and the song the song on repeat thing is really good from a cognitive perspective because mm-hmm. it, it it can help us get into a place of focus because we don't get distracted by the song it's just a loop that goes on and then it starts becoming an anchor of okay when i'm a little bit angry and i really need to get stuff done i'm gonna this is a soundtrack for it I, re- I remember when I worked um, briefly in a Montessori school years ago. Um, did they blast we Metallica talking... as well? Yeah, they did. No, we were talking about playing Mozart for concentration. Have you heard about that? The Mozart technique. Yes, yes, I have heard. What's about your that. thoughts on that? Uh, I, th- I think it has some credence to it. Um, it you know that, that there's there's so much to this in terms of how music affects our moods and mental states, but both music and also taste as well, which you would know very well from your mm-hmm. days in the chocolate world. Okay. So finally, um, I would like to ask you, because bearing in mind the podcast is called Hope and Patience, a time when you've had to have bucket loads of hope and also what springs to mind when you think of your business or it could be something else where you've had to need a lot of patience great questions so hope i'd say there's been three times uh when, when my father passed away you've got got to be able to hope that things can get better mm-hmm. when, when something that's happened after i had the stroke i had to really hope that you know have faith as i say it's different i rather than hope at that point it was faith it was i, I will get better because there's no mm-hmm. other choice and of course at that point i had no idea if i was going to get better or not it was, ju- it was just blind faith and and then the third one is you know, when, when you start a business, you've got to be an optimist. You've got to um, expect, plan for the plan for the worst, but expect the best. So mm-hmm. you've got to have a lot of hope to do that. And and I think I think I have a lot of hope that the work that we're doing now can really help a lot of people. On the patience one, I think it goes hand in hand with with the business side of things. I, th- I think I think everything takes longer 
and everything costs more than we initially think it's going to cost. Okay, so where you can find Niraj, Jessica and the team is on their website, mindunlocked.co, on Instagram, mind.unlocked. And Niraj, where else for your social media handles? Yeah, and, and the best place is probably, I have a personal website, which is Niraj5HAH, all one word. So it's like Niraj Shah, but with a five for the first S. And my social handles are also Niraj5HAH on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. So I would like to say a huge thank you to Niraj. It has been such a treat. I feel so at home, even with, you know, chatting with you, even though you are the other side of London to where I am. Um, and I, yeah, so I would just like to say a huge thank you for sharing some absolute gems. And I feel that I could have talked to you for the rest of the afternoon, but lucky for you, Chris is on the time clock and that is not a player. I, I guess if you decide to do some long form episodes one day, we could do that or, or, or we can do something like this again. But I just want to say, yeah, we can do something. Thank you so much for having me on a show. I really appreciate it. It's always a privilege to be asked. So thank you. That is a pleasure. So the book that I'm going to recommend for this show is by a lady called Kimberly Parsons. She's a natural. She's my friend. Oh, there you go. So she is lovely. And She's I met her. Wonderful. Yeah. So I met her through Oliver Chittenden of Head Talks, who is a guest. And I went to one of his events. And so her book is the book I'm recommending for the show, The Yoga Kitchen. And she kindly shared her recipe for uh, broccoli sushi uh with with um us and that is on the blog of hopeandpatience.co.uk um but she's she's just fab so yeah naturopath chef and author and she will be a guest on the show at some stage soon i hope and the quote is to begin begin by william wordsworth so thank you so much for joining us both today i'll be back with another story soon so make sure you subscribe to get the latest episode. And if you like what you hear, I would so love it if you could review, subscribe and importantly, spread the word. Until then, keep your sparkle. Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk or find Amelia on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Hope and Pat.